16, everybody. Hey, let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, good to be here this morning. For those that couldn't make it due to roads and weather, we just pray your hand of safety to be upon them. We pray for safety for everybody here as they travel home after the service, your hand to be upon them. But for right here, right now, we just want to learn of you. We just want to grow of you. We just want to go deeper in you and help us to be taught by your Holy Spirit in your name. Amen. We're in Proverbs 16. Now, we had to cancel church here a couple times because of the weather. Um, We had a Christmas service. We had a Christmas program. So we literally have been in Proverbs 16 for about the last two months. Um, the pace we're going, probably about 2022, we'll get out of Proverbs 16 and we'll see what Proverbs 17 has to say. There is so much good stuff in these chapters. And if you remember correctly in our teaching through the book of Proverbs, the goal of Proverbs, short little statements that really share a profound, deep truth, but it does it so eloquently and so quickly. And what I love about Proverbs is this is daily practical living. The book of Proverbs does not have a lot of deep theology. does not have a lot of end times. It's really just how to go out and live the Christian life in a daily practical way. And that's what we want to do. It is not about Harvest Fellowship. It is about representing Jesus Christ and all that we do and all that we say. That is all that matters for eternity. It's to really go out and say, that person I am talking to, are they saved or are they not saved? If they're not saved, how can I represent Jesus to them? If they are saved, how can I encourage them, equip them to go deeper in their walk and relationship with the Lord? And Proverbs deals with that. Now, Proverbs deals a lot with communication, our words, and the tongue. And if you're like me, that's probably where your biggest area of getting tripped up is. Is the words I say that I need to go back and tell somebody, I'm sorry, I wasn't gentle about that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And you see that a lot in the book of Proverbs. Now, we've covered the area of the tongue a lot before, and we're going to do that again today, but we're going to go to the Old Testament, use an Old Testament story as an example here of really putting this into practice, and I hope you're blessed by that. So let's start out with this. This is Proverbs 16. Let's start in verse 16. And it says this, How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver? Let's just start with that idea. The importance of wisdom. What is the definition of wisdom? Wisdom is God's way of thinking. You want wisdom. You want God's way of thinking. You don't want your way of thinking. You don't want your neighbor's way of thinking. You don't want the world's way of thinking. You want God's way of thinking. That's what wisdom is. And when you have God's way of thinking, the next thing you want, according to verse 16, is understanding. Understanding is God's way of applying it now. Now, what's the point of knowing God's way of thinking, having the wisdom, if you can't apply it? What's the point of being willing to apply it, but if you don't have the wisdom to do it? This is why you see them together so much. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what you want us to do. And then, Lord, give us the understanding to go and apply it. I want both of those together. There's been many times where I had the wisdom, but, Lord, I I don't know how to apply this. So, Lord, give me the understanding. And there's been many times where I've been willing, but, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say and do. So, Lord, give me the wisdom. It's a tag team that you want to put together. And as you go then do this, apply this wisdom, let our words be as the Bible says in verse 21. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. The wise in heart will be called prudent. Prudent's an interesting word. Prudent is one of those words, I know it when I see it, I understand it, but it's hard to define. And and if I was teaching this study with my boys, and the boys would raise their hand and say, Dad, what does the word prudent mean? I would find that a little difficult to define. The best definition I found for prudence is this. Intelligence and action. Is that you are actively going out there representing the Lord in an intelligent biblical way. And that's a great way to describe prudence. This idea of I'm going to go do it 
And I'm going to represent the Lord as I do it. Intelligence and action. And how is it going to look when I do this in 21? Sweetness of the lips. And let's build on that. Take a look at 23 and 24. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Look at these words. 21. Sweetness of lips increases learning. 23. Learning to the lips. 24. Pleasant honeycomb. Sweetness. Health to the bones. You guys know somebody that when you talk to them, that's how they communicate. It's honeycomb. It's sweet. Their lips are gracious. Their lips are pleasant. And you know that their words, their mouth is a gracious, pleasant sweetness. And to be honest, you love talking to them. You walk away, you feel edified in the Lord. You feel built up in the Lord. You feel encouraged in the Lord. And this is what God has called us to do. How can we be that person? By making sure that we treat wisdom as better than gold. Understanding better than silver. And we stop and we say, every conversation I have, Lord, I want it to be sweetness. I want it to be honeycomb. I want it to be health. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't speak truth. Truth is still sweetness and honeycomb because truth needs to be heard. But you can make sure it's presented in a loving, gracious, pleasant way. So that's the first half. But now it switches a little bit here, because take a look at 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. Well, wouldn't it be great if everybody had honeycomb and sweetness and honey and all these wonderful, amazing things? But the problem is in 22, you have to deal with fools. Now, you've got to remember from the biblical standpoint, fool is one of the worst words that you could use to describe somebody. A fool is somebody that is unteachable in many ways. A fool is somebody, it's not that they're not intelligent. They're not willing to apply what they've learned. They're not willing to listen to understanding. They're a fool. And some of you may work with fools. Some of you may have fools as children. Some of you may have married a fool. Some of you may be going to church with fools. You're going to be with fools all around you. Now, what are you going to do with them? Because according to 22, the correction of fools is folly. You've got to be careful with certain fools. They either won't learn or they will only learn the hard way. That's the only way to learn. Some of them don't want to learn at all. They just want to be a fool. And no matter what you say, no matter how you say it, biblically, graciously, lovingly, they don't want to hear it. They're a fool. Or the only way to learn the lesson is by learning it the hard way. And that is foolishness and that is folly. Now, let's go a little bit deeper on what these guys look like. If we take a look at 27. An ungodly man digs up evil and is on his lips like a burning fire. The previous people we talked about had pleasant lips, gracious lips, sweet lips. Verse 27, now you have burning fire lips. The first person that we talked to encourages you, edifies you, takes you deeper in the Lord by speaking truth and love. The second person, you don't want to be around them. When you talk to them, you just walk away discouraged, defeated. They just tear down. Their lips are like burning fire. Remember what it says in the book of James chapter 3, that some people's tongues are set on fire by hell itself. And you know when speaking to them, their words just attack and tear down. They are 27, ungodly. Some translation calls it a man of Baal. And we'll get to that. Remember that phrase, because we're going to get to that in a little bit there. But this is an ungodly person. What else do they do? 28, a perverse man sows strife. A whisper separates the best of friends. They're not only comfortable going out there and speaking burning fire lips, 28, they like to sow strife. They like the fights. They like the arguments. They almost enjoy that. 28, they're out there gossiping, saying things. 
Always be careful when talking to people. Because if they're willing to tell you anything and everything about anybody, that means they're going to talk about you in that exact same way. A whisper separates the best of friends. And then 29, a violent man entices his neighbor and it leads him in a way that is not good. You see the lips are evil. You see him sowing strife. And a lot of times those guys, verse 29, they're out of control in many ways. Violent. 30, he winks his eye to devise perverse things. He pursues, purses his lips and brings about evil. So look at the black and white we have of this. We have the first person, pleasant, sweetness, gracious, honeycomb. What a blessing to be around. Encouraging, edifying, speaking truth and love. And then you have the next person. Digging up evil, 27. Lips of burning fire, sowing strife, gossiping, talking about everybody, violent, winking his eyes, perverse things. This is the person that has an opinion on everything, and every person they talk to is just an idiot. Have you ever noticed those people? They work with idiots. Their boss, every job they've had, their boss has been an idiot. Every single place they've ever gone, everybody else is wrong except for them. They are a difficult person to be around. And really what it comes down to, it is just not walking in the relationship with Christ like they should. It's a dangerous place to be. So the Lord is telling us, which one are we going to go with here? Are we going to go with the sweet, the honeycomb, the honey? Or are we going to go with ungodly, sowing strife, burning fire, violence, etc.? Now the thing is, we know this. I think putting it into application and seeing it actually play out in the world really helps us to understand what this looks like. And so that's what we're going to do now. Can you go with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 25, please? 1 Samuel 25. In 1 Samuel 25, we see these two extremes. Now, there's really three main characters in 1 Samuel 25. There's a man by the name of Nabal or Naval, depending how you pronounce it. There's a woman by the name of Abigail, and then there's David that we know as King David. Now, David is not king at this time. Saul's still king. He's being anointed king. He's on the run from Saul. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Nabal is a man whose name means fool. And then you have Abigail, whose name means my father is joy. Now, as we go through this, which one of these three are you? You don't want to be Nabal. He is the man that's so strife and burning fire on his lips. To be honest, in this teaching, you really don't want to be David too much. We'll get to that in a little bit. You want to be the Abigail. Now, this is what I've noticed when I teach lessons like this. It's pretty obvious who the good guys are and the bad guys are. And as we go through these type of lessons, we have a tendency to hear this. And instead of thinking about us, Lord, search me and try me and know my heart, we start thinking about everybody else we know. And we start realizing, oh, yeah, that's the guy I work with. He's the fool. Right. But let the Lord speak to your heart. Because it's really easy and it's really fun in some ways to hear a message like this and pick out all the characters of everybody else you know. But what is the Lord speaking to you as we go through this? You will see that Nabal is the fool. He is ungodly. He sows strife. He is the one that causes problems. Abigail, my father, is joy, is the one of sweetness, honeycomb on her lips. And then you're going to see David being the man of anger and violence, which again, we'll get to here in a little bit. So let's see what happens here. 1 Samuel 25. And let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 2. Now there was a man in Mayan whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. 
Once again, when you see Nabal, his name means fool. Please remember, he is the verses 27 through 30, verse 22. Ungodly, sowing strife, tongue of fire there. And when you see Abigail, she's the sweet. Verse 4. When David, was, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and waited. So David has his group of men. We find out a little bit later in the chapter that David's men actually protected Nabal's uh, sheep shears. Uh, this is going on. So they're focusing on shearing all these sheep. Their focus is on that. They're very, very weak in that area. People could have come and attacked them, very vulnerable. David's men kind of just watched out for them and took care of them. So now David is kind of going back to Nabal saying, hey, just, just help us out a little bit. We blessed you. You bless us. Verse 10. Then Nabal answered David's servant and said, who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall then I take my bread and my water, my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? He's a fool. He's a fool that's so focused on himself, on his possessions, everything he has. We've already established the fact back in verse 2, this man is rich. He's got the food, he's got the goods. He could have blessed and helped David, but no, it's all about him. See, that's the thing about a fool. It's always about them. It's always about them and what they have and what they get. Why would I go help that other person? They can go help themselves. Why would I worry about that other person? I'm only going to worry about myself. That's one of the first traits you see about a fool. Is they don't look at eternity. They don't look at towards the deep things of God. They look at everything from a very shallow experience in life. And it is always about them. And what can I get? How is it all about me? Nabal could have blessed David, blessed his men. Nabal chose not to. He could have looked a little bit more into this. He could have went to his servant and said, Hey, guys, this is David. Did, did you guys have any run-ins with David? And said, Oh, yeah, David, he helped us. No, Nabal's a fool. Once again, you work with them. You live with them. You go to church with them. And you see them so focused on themselves that they don't see anything else going on here with eternity or the things of God. Verse 12. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. And now we're back to David. Now most of the time, David is the guy you want to be like. A man after God's own heart. But in this story here this morning, David. David is flying off the handle. David is causing issues. Remember what we read in Proverbs 16, 29? A violent man entices his neighbor. David is just going to go take matters into his own hands. Verse 13. Every man gird on his sword. What's David at this moment? David's you and me sometimes. Somebody says something about us we like. Somebody says something we don't want. Our first instinct is we're just going to fight this out. We're just going to go take care of this on our own. Someone needs to stand up to that fool in the ball. Someone needs to stand up to that bully in the ball. And I'm going to do it. And we're going to go have it out. This has been building up for so long. How dare he offend me? How dare he bother me? This is just David in the flesh. This is this David constantly worked up. David, why go to battle with a fool? Why? This is one of the hardest choices to make in life. 
When do you let the fool go, and when do you stand up to the fool? Can you go with me to Proverbs 26, please? Proverbs 26. We've made reference to this verse in Proverbs 26 many times. We'll get to Proverbs 26 eventually, but with the pace we're going, it's going to be a couple years. But we will get to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5 show both pendulum swings, if you will, of this. Proverbs 26 verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, those verses are the closest I've ever seen to being a contradiction in the Bible. And they're really not a contradiction. It just depends on which situation you're in. There are times in verse 4 that you should not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Man, they call you up. They contact you. They talk to you. And they're a fool. You know they're a fool. Why go down to their level? Why? Because it feels good in the flesh. Somebody needs to stand up to this person. Somebody needs to tell this person there's wrong. This person is constantly walking all over everybody. This person is constantly saying this or that. And somebody needs to go and take care of them. Be careful, verse 4, lest you also be like him. Make sure it's of the Lord. And who are you trying to defend at this moment? Are you caring about the eternity of people's souls and Jesus Christ's glory? You're caring about the truth of God's word? Or is it just my flesh is riled up and I want to go tell this person they're wrong because it makes me feel better? Be careful. Does this mean that we let everybody get away with everything? No, because take a look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Sometimes there's a fool and you have to stop and say, Nah, this one I can't let go. Listen. Over the, uh, the 20 years I've been out here, I've had so many people contact about things. So many. And today with technology, people can send a text without even thinking. I call them end-of-the-world texts. They don't check grammar. They don't check spelling. It's just anger, 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 send. Anger, 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 send. And I've reached the point now where I get one of those angry texts. I might as well wait a little bit because it's going to go on for a while. You know, they're just going to keep sending them and sending them. So when I get one of those texts or one of those phone calls, I have to pray Proverbs 26, 4, and 5 and say, do I let this go? Because I've realized this over the years. For a lot of people, I represent a relationship with the Lord. And I don't mean that the way it sounds. Don't take that the wrong way. But if they come out here to church or they've been associated with this church, I represent a lot of what the Lord has done in their lives. And if they're angry at God or angry at life, they get angry at me. And so they contact me and they're angry. I've had people yell at me, scream at me, chew me out in this church, at home, threaten, whatever. And I have to stop at that moment and say, okay, Proverbs 26, 4. Do I respond to the fool or not? Now, my flesh wants to respond. But the Bible tells me, let your gentleness be known to all. My flesh wants to tell them how they're wrong. And not only tell them how they're wrong, I want to go around to everybody else and make sure everybody else knows how big of a fool they are. Because what happens sometimes is people look really good on the outside But you really realize deep down inside, they really don't have the walk with the Lord like they're looking. It's very shallow. But it's not my job to point that out. The Lord will reveal that in time. So there's many times in verse 4, I realize that if I answer a fool according to his folly, I'm going to be a fool just like him. And I need to let it go. I need to pray for that person. I need to seek the Lord and just say, Lord, what can we do to bless them and help them? Now, for some of you, that's a real struggle because you hate the idea of being walked on. You hate the idea of someone taking advantage of you. You hate the idea that they got away with it. Oh, guys, it's not about you. It's not about what they think of you. It's about representing Jesus Christ. And a lot of times, Jesus let people do things. They let them spit on them. 
Let him pull his beard out. They let him beat him. There's times where we just have to stop and realize that if I go down to that level, I'm being a fool just like them and God will not be glorified in any way whatsoever. Now, what about the second part though, verse 5? Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. These are the ones where you stop and say, okay, I can't let this one go. I was contacted recently by somebody that was a fool. And they just get on and on and on. And I prayed and my flesh got riled up. And I showed it to Dawn. And I said, Dawn, what do you think? Should I let it go or not? And I really prayed about it. And the Lord said, no, on this one you don't need to let go. Because you need to go represent truth. You need to go represent God's word. You need to go represent the righteousness of God. And I called the person back. And I said, listen, I need you to listen to me. Because this is what I'm going to say. And I had Dawn sit in on the conversation. I got off the phone. I looked at her and said, did I sin? Because I'm always afraid, did I sin? She goes, no. I said, oh, good. Now, this is what I realized over the years. When God finally says, Proverbs 26, 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes, you would think that that would be fun. You get to stand up to the fool finally, right? I have realized when that happens, I don't want to. Lord, I don't want to do this. And that's when I usually know the Lord is telling me to do it. Because verse 4, oh, I want to all the time. I want to jump right into that mess. I got a flesh like anybody else. And I want to go toe for toe with people. I want to raise my voice. I want to yell verses at him. I want to do everything. And God says, James, just back off. You're not doing it for my glory. You're doing it for your flesh. And I can rationalize it in my mind. Lord, someone needs to stand up to this person. Someone needs to do this. Someone needs to do this. Yeah, but you're just going down to their level. So when God finally says in verse 5, talk to them. And I'm like, oh, Lord, do I have to? Do I have to? There are times to speak. There are times not to speak. How do you know the difference? Do you pray Proverbs 26, 4, and 5 a whole awful lot? Because you are going to work with fools, live with fools, go to church with fools, be around fools. And I tell you, what good comes out of you constantly thinking that everybody's an idiot? Everybody's always wrong. You're the only one that's got it figured out. You're the only one that sees the right path. Come on. Stop and realize you're acting like in a ball at that time. And then when you get realized and get worked up, stop and realize then now you're acting like a David. Everybody get their sword on. No, nothing good comes out of it. Let's finally get to the one that has sweetness on their lips. 14, now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he reviled them. But the men who were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both night and day. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. They watched over us. They protected us. Verse 17. Now, therefore, no one consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Scoundrel. What a fun word. Scoundrel. Ill-tempered. Wicked. It's the same one as Proverbs 16.27 translated there as ungodly. Son of Baal. This idea that this person is so ill-tempered, such a scoundrel, such a wicked person, such a fool, such an ungodly person. That's who Nabal is. You know them. You've been around them. And I mean this in sincerity of heart. I hope you're not one of them. They're difficult people. What does Abigail do as the wife? 18. Then Abigail made haste. Took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. 
And she said to her servants, go on before me, see I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there was David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in his wilderness. So that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. He has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David. If I do not, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Oh yeah. That's the bravado right there. That's the verses we like, right? Put that on your bumper sticker, you know. You mess with me, I'll kill you in the name of God. (laughs) Listen to this. There is nothing God-glorifying, caring about eternity in 21 and 22. Sure, he name-drops God. This is all David's flesh. This is all David. Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in the wilderness. What would we say today? Why did I ever help them? Why did I ever invite them to my home? Why did I ever say I would do that? They are just awful, worthless, horrible people. And so you know what? Verse 22. May God do so more also. Let God judge them by my hand. And look at 22. The enemies of David. David's not thinking about God. David is making this very selfish. It's all about him. This person is my enemy. This person is causing me harm. So 22. This person needs to suffer. Do you know somebody that's a David? Constantly offended and bothered by what everybody else is doing. And they take it so personal. I can't believe they said this about me. I can't believe they did this about me. I know why they said it. I know why they did it. Everybody, they think the world is out to get them. Everybody is an idiot. Everybody is done. And they feel it's them versus the world and they have to take matters into their own hands. David's being a fool. David is letting his flesh control him. David is letting his anger control him. Once again, there is absolutely nothing in 21 or 22 about God, the glory, or anything. This is David who's writing psalms at this time that you can go read that are some of the most beautiful praise and worship ones you've ever seen. But then in his flesh, ah, Nabal needs to be punished. We've talked a lot about Nabal, but I'm telling you right now, be careful about being a David. See, David has a self-righteousness in him. David has so convinced himself how right he is that he needs to take matters into his own hands and go judge other people in the name of God. Be careful about this. This flesh in 21 and 22 is escalating things. It's not seeking peace. Please remember what the Bible says. Let your gentleness be known to all men. We like the bravado. We like the anger. We like the revenge stories. Jesus likes grace and mercy. And we need to realize David is wrong at this time. 23, now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. Now I want you to listen to Abigail's words here. We've got the fool in the ball. We've got the violent, emotional man David. And now we get to Abigail. Pleasant. Sweetness. Gracious. Listen to her words. 24. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please not let my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. She goes, he's a fool. Everybody knows he's a fool. The one thing that the Lord is really trying to teach me, and I'm I'm a slow learner on it, I don't have to convince everybody else how much of a fool somebody else is. Matthew 7 makes it abundantly clear. By your fruits, you will know them. If a fool is a fool, it will come out in their life. It will come out in their words. 
It will come out in their actions. It will come out in their shallowness of Jesus Christ. It will. I struggle with that. Because when I run into a fool that looks very righteous, and I'm like, I know they're a fool. My flesh wants to desperately go prove that to everybody else. And God says, who are you worrying about at this? Are you worrying about my glory? Are you worrying about eternity? Are you worried, James, more about you looking better than them? It's like, Lord, i got to die to that. Nabal's wife comes and says, listen, his name is Nabal. His name is Folly. He's a fool. Everybody knows it. Time will reveal that. 26. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. She says, do you not see God in your life right now, David, holding you back? And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. 28. The Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Abigail saying, David, David, remember who you are. Remember, you have an enduring house. You are going to be the next king, David. Why are you doing this? Why are you going down to this fool's level? Think about eternity. Think about God. Think about this. What does this really mean in the whole scheme of heaven and hell? Is it really worth it? No, then don't do it. Let it go, David. Does this mean you let everything go? No, please remember. Proverbs 26, 5. There are certain times the Lord calls you to go respond to the fool. You need to. Let the Lord lead. But at this one right here, Abigail's telling David, let it go, David. There's bigger things going on. Don't waste your time on this. 29. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord, your God, and the lives of your enemies. He shall sing, sling out as far as the pocket of a sling. She goes, listen, 29. We know people are chasing you, David. You know God's hand has been upon you. You know God is protecting you and watching out for you. David. What would we say today? Don't lower yourself to this. I've told people before in marriage counseling, I've looked at them and said, somebody's got to be the mature one at this point. Somebody's got to act like a born-again believer at this point. Because everybody's just going down and getting angry and getting upset. I used to get in the middle of that and try to stop it, and then you realize they both want to be fools. Sometimes it's just best to get out of the way and let the fools be fools. 30. It shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you rule over Israel. David... You're going to be king. This isn't worth it, David. I just want you to remember this, guys. In the whole scheme of heaven and hell, is it worth it? Is it worth the argument? Is it worth the fight? Is it worth all of it? It is not worth it. If the Lord has called you to get into the ring with that fool, make sure you're prayed up and make sure you're doing it for the glory of the Lord. You're not doing it to avenge yourself. You're not doing it to bully the bully. You're not doing it because you're just angry and upset. You are doing it because with a clear conscience, God has called you for his glory to get in there and represent the truth of scriptures and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Sometimes you're called to do that and sometimes you need to do that. But a lot of times the Lord is saying, they're a fool, just stay out of it. 31. That this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. Look, avenged himself. David, this isn't about God. This is about you. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, because she is honeycomb, sweetness of lips, pleasant, gracious, 
Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself from my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, which has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males had been left to the ball. And one out. Listen, now we get to like David. David listened to correction. David let go of the flesh. He says, you are a blessing. In verse 33, blessed is your advice and blessed are you. Now listen, if you are the person that people come to you for advice and counsel, learn from Abigail. Let your words be sweetness, gracious, honeycomb. Let it be truth and love. Don't bounce from the truth. But make sure you present it in the gentleness of the Lord. And be a blessing. And let your advice be a blessing. This is what I've noticed when people like to come ask you advice. First off, you kind of get a little prideful. They want to know what I think. And so therefore you want to sound intelligent. You want to sound eloquent. You like it. What I've learned over the years is this. Just give them verses. Just keep giving them verses. I used to like to hear myself speak and pontificate on things. Now it's like this is what God says. Just This is what the Bible says. And the best advice I can give you is just do what the Bible says. And you'll be blessed by it. Be careful when people come to you that you're not more excited about people wanting to hear what you have to say and your thoughts and opinions and your words. Stick to the scriptures and you will be blessed. Give them God's word. That's why it's so vitally important to be prayed up and fasted up because you have no idea what conversations are going to come your way and you want to be able to give them the scriptures and the advice and the counsel of God. Your opinions don't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. What does the Lord say? What does the Lord say? 35, so David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I've heeded your voice and respected your person. Peace, no bloodshed. What about Nabal? This guy got away with it. 36, and Abigail went to Nabal and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife told him all the things that his heart died within him, and he became like stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Now some of you are thinking, oh yeah, see that's what I've been waiting for. Please remember what the Bible says. God has no joy in the death of the wicked. None. Nabal was a fool, and he died like a fool. Listen, if you work with fools, if you live with fools, if you go to church with fools, the Lord knows they're a fool. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear we will reap what we sow. It's an awful, sad, horrible thing. There are times when I run into fools and in my flesh I think, oh yeah, I can't wait till they get what they deserve. And then I see them in life get what they deserve and it absolutely breaks my heart. Because I don't want them to suffer. Sure, I want them to learn their lessons. Sure, I want them to quit being a fool. I don't wish this on anybody. I want them to be repentant. I want them to be broken. I want them to confess. I want them to become a gracious brother or sister in Jesus Christ. We've got to be careful with this because the Lord knows. I want you to remember that. Fools may fool people. But they're not going to fool the Lord. The Lord knows. And in time will reveal by your fruits you shall know them. 39, so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach in the hand of Nabal. He has kept his servant from evil, for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Baal on his own head. Now, see, take a look at this. David, just a few verses earlier, was all about David. David needs to take out Nabal. David has been offended. David has been hurt. David is bothered. David needs to cold kill Nabal and every other person in his household, because it's all about David. 
Now David stops in 39 and says, Now, blessed be the Lord. God took care of it. God took care of it. Please remember right now, if you're dealing with a fool, and if you don't have the peace of mind to do verse 5 of Proverbs 26, of going correcting them because God's not called you to do it, please remember this. Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. So that person at work I can't handle and I'm really struggling with, Lord, you just want to start praying for him. Person at home, person at church, person in the community. If you are the person that acts like a Nabal, that everybody is an idiot and a fool, let the Holy Spirit convict you at this moment. If you're David, that you're just flying off the handle and everybody's angry and you need to step in and take care of everything, let the Holy Spirit convict you at this moment. We want to be the Abigail. Sweetness of lips, graciousness of lips. So now that ends that part of the story. And now all of a sudden it becomes a Hallmark movie in verse 39. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail, Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. He's like, hey, I heard you're a single now. Verse 41. Then she arose, bowed her face onto the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet and the servant of my Lord. And Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messenger of David and became his wife. There you go. What a happy ending right there. What does that mean? I, I can only tell you what I, what I see when I look at this. And, and, and be careful. We talked about this a little bit Wednesday night at church. Be careful of symbolism in the Old Testament. Symbolism is there to shine lights on things. And remember what Paul said in Corinthians. That the Old Testament is given to us an example of what to do and what not to do. And these people are symbols of a lot of different things according to the book of Hebrews. So when I see David and Nabal and I see Abigail, I, I see this. David's the king. You want a relationship with the king. I want a relationship with the king. But if I act like Nabal and I'm a fool, I'm not going to have a relationship with the king. If I act like Abigail and I have sweetness and graciousness on my lips because I've been changed by Jesus Christ and I'm walking in the gentleness of Christ Jesus, I can have a relationship with the king. And I think there's a lot of fools out there that wonder why they don't feel close to the Lord because they're acting like a fool. You're not going to have a relationship with the king when you're a fool. But when you're an Abigail... And you humble yourself. And you come before the king. And you do what Abigail does in 24. She fell at his feet. Remember Martha and Mary. Mary's always at the feet of Jesus. When you fall at the feet of the king. Boy, that's when you can have that relationship with him. And you know what the Bible says? We become the bride of Christ. And it's an amazing thing. Because for many years I walked as a fool. I was Nabal. Then I fell at the feet of the king. And then I get to become his spouse. And it's an amazing relationship you can have with Jesus through Jesus Christ. So let's put this all together here to end. You've got to decide. Are you in a ball? Boy, confess, repent. Are you a David at this moment? An anger and frustration. You're going to take everybody out that offends you. Confess, repent. I hope you become the David that says, hey, it's in the Lord's hands. hope you become the Abigail that stops and says, I want my words to be sweet, pleasing to the king. Remember, your words reveal a lot about you. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. Out of the mouth proceeds the thoughts and intents of the heart. The way we act, the way we speak of people, the good we speak of them, the evil we speak of them. Remember what Proverbs says, that in the power of the tongue is the words of life and death. What you say about people is very, very powerful. Now listen, this doesn't mean that you water down the truth. I'm not saying that in any way whatsoever. This means that you prayerfully consider what fool to have a conversation with and how to get into it. And you never worry about yourself. You worry about making sure God is glorified in every word you say and every action that you do. As we get ready for the final song, I believe Josh is doing the closing song. Here we are, Josh. Hey, let's pray here.